Hey, everybody, it is Trags, and I am back along with the one and only Alex Barth for another edition of Red Sox Beat. On this episode, I'm looking forward to this a lot because we don't do lists a lot on the Red Sox Beat, but Alex, Alex Barth came up with a great idea when we were brainstorming earlier in the week for something new, something different. And he said, how about with David Ortiz, almost certainly, all due respect to Dan Shaughnessy of the Boston Globe, almost <laughs> certainly going into the Hall of Fame uh, and the announcement coming out on January 25th, next Tuesday. Why don't we do a top five all-time David Ortiz moments? And I'm like, Alex, I don't respect you a lot, but that is a great <laughs> idea. That's a spectacular idea. So let's go ahead and do that. We're going to have some fun with this. We're going to bring back a lot of memories. Um, a lot of these memories we were there in person for. Others we watched off television. But um, certainly, I think every Red Sox fan that is listening to this and every loyal Red Sox beat listener on CLNS can appreciate the list we're about to do. We'll start with number five, and I'll go first. To me, his speech in game four of the 2013 World Series is one of those iconic Ortiz leadership moments in the dugout. And the reason this is on the list for me in the top five is because of uh, the situation that he uh, surmised and, and assessed in game four of that World Series. People forget the Red Sox were down two to one, two games to one to the St. Louis Cardinals. They were in St. Louis. The score was tied 1-1 when Ortiz decided to gather his uh, teammates in the dugout in the sixth inning. The game was getting a little long in the tooth. And according to uh, the reports after the game, Ortiz said, quote, I told them we had been in, in this situation before and that we had had a better team than we had showed. The game's tough, and I know we have better hitters than we've shown. I see guys who dominate good pitching, and they haven't been able to come through. Yeah, they, the Cardinals, have good pitching, but they're throwing the ball over the plate. That is the game that was decided by a Johnny Gomes home run, three-run homer. The Red Sox win it 4-2. to two. They uh, take the or tie the series at two games apiece, obviously, win the next two to win the 2013 World Series. You, Alex? Yeah, I mean, that's a good – see, there's so many, right? And – I, I honestly, I like didn't even think of that. Like honorable mentions, I'd go with that. Um, I, I, I got to do honorable mentions. I have to. Okay, um, go ahead. I go with, I'd go with that. Um, him destroying the phone in the in the Baltimore one. dugout. That's a great um, one. His first big Red Sox walk off in 03 against the A's. They ultimately go on. Obviously, we know what happened in 03. So that one gets downplayed, but that was, you know, the the, the precursor to kind of what he would be. For the next couple of decades, um, I like I to me I I viewed this list very personally. You know, just like what what are the moments that stand out to me, right? Um, and so much happened in 2013. I don't know. I guess that that speech kind of let me put it this way. Spoiler alert: There's another speech in 2013. Yes, there is. On my and, and list. Like likewise on mine. <laughs> but, okay, go ahead. Um, I'll actually take another 2013 moment, and this to me was just. I think the, the, the truly this great, is for number ad. five. Okay. This is, this for, is number for number five. five. This is for number five. Yeah, go ahead. But it is a 2013 moment. I think the truly great of great athletes, they have these moments. They don't necessarily have them often, but the, the true top level of athletes have these moments where they're superhuman, where you just look at the whole moment and you kind of have to remind yourself it's not from a movie. 
And the Red Sox were playing the, the Rangers in the summer of 2013. I happened to randomly have the game on that night. And I think they had one on a walk-off the night before, too, or something. They were on some stretch where they were winning all these close games. And the Rangers had runners on second and third, up two. And they walked Dustin Pedroia intentionally to mm. get to David Ortiz. Yep. And I remember this. everybody's reaction was, well, why would you walk somebody to get to David Ortiz? He's going to win the game. And two pitches later, he won the game. And the reason that moment stuck with me, like, all right, David Ortiz hit a walk-off home run. When he rounded the base and he came home, they ripped his jersey off. Do you remember what it said on the back of his T-shirt at, oh, in that moment? No, no, I don't. Famous, famous as, I don't know if I can say it, famous as F. Yes. And like a picture of him flexing, like a silhouette of him flexing over those words. And it was just like, oh man, he let him know. Like he would, there was some talk at that point that like he might be dipping or whatever. And I think we were starting to talk about his heels, maybe being an, an issue, his feet being an issue. Right. And that, that's, that to me was just a, like a superhuman moment of, you know, we talked about this with Tom Brady a lot. Everybody in the building knew what was about to happen. Yep. It, it didn't, it wasn't a guarantee, but it almost was. And then the t-shirt to me kind of put it over the top because it was like, yeah, I'm David F and Ortiz. I like, this is what I do. I just, I always loved that moment. It was just such a big, like, it was just such a big middle finger to, to everybody that's just like, yeah, I can do this. What of it? It was so cool. I, I loved that. I thought that, and he did it all with a smile and that encapsulated really who and what David Ortiz was all about. Number four for me, down five, one bottom of the eighth game two of the American league championship series in 2013, Benoit on the mound for the uh, Detroit Tigers, bases loaded, and David Ortiz drives a changeup on a two-strike count over the right field wall. The famous, iconic image now of Torrey Hunter uh, going ass over tea kettle into the bullpen with the Boston police officer looking on, raising his hands, tied the game. There is no doubt in anybody's mind that at that point, the Red Sox, not only I thought were going to win that game, they were going to win the series. There, I, it was just such a monumentally huge moment for David Ortiz to tie a game when you're down 5-1 and you're down uh, one game to nothing to Justin Verlander and the Tigers going back to Detroit. That, that single moment in that series, in that season, defined David Ortiz in 2013 uh, in the postseason, in the postseason. Um, you have that, you have that at four. Yeah, that's correct. I do. Um, I just just wait, just wait. Um, okay. You have it higher. Yeah, now I'm worried I'm missing something. Honestly, no, nah, don't worry about that. Let let okay. me finish here. Uh, but yeah. there's a little anecdote that goes along with this. You remember what happened earlier that day down at Foxborough? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Tom Brady wins it with a pass to Kembrell Tompkins back of the end zone. Six seconds to go. They beat the New Orleans Saints. One of the greatest and, days of my life. And uh, that was one of the most memorable days, I think, in the last hundred years of Boston sports. It, it, it's certainly to me with, with Brady doing what he did and Ortiz doing what he did on the same day within a matter of three hours was pretty, pretty special. Go ahead. You're, you're number four. 
Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll save my story on that for, for when I have it on my list. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I just, I, I, I don't know, maybe this is outside the box. He had, so all, I was lucky enough to be at multiple regular season, David Ortiz walk-offs against the Yankees. Um, I think I've only been to three or four walk-offs in, in my life and, and he was a couple of them. So just anytime he walked off the Yankees, that always felt good because I feel like Yankees fans always tried to minimize player David Ortiz was always oh, a DH. I oh, only hits for power, even though he like hit over 300. Um, it just felt good. It felt like it felt very, I don't know. It felt very Boston. You go to Fenway, you see David Ortiz walk off the Yankees. It, it, like it just, it puts you in a good mood for a couple of days. It was always fun. So it's a little thing, but it was just like, again, it's one of those things where it just, it felt so right. Um, it felt just like, all right, it's late in the game and we'll get to the other ones later, but it's late in the game. David Ortiz is up against the Yankees. Yeah, they're probably going to win this game. They're probably going to win it. And more often than not, they did. So that was always, that's another one where it's just like, I just appreciated the dominance of it. I appreciated the, uh, just how inevitable David Ortiz was. I think that that's a yes, big part of his great story word. is that mm-hmm. you just, you didn't really doubt that he was going to come through. You just kind of knew, all right, if they get him at the plate in this situation, they're good to go. And they didn't always get to him, but. So it, it just, it just adds to it. Yeah. So What's I would, I would number four for there. you. That's number four. I've just combined all the, all the regular season walk-offs against the Yankees. I think there's four of them. Okay. Number three, David Ortiz yeah. homers in game four of the ALCS against the Yankees in 2004. And the game is over six, uh, six to four, just like that. Of course, that game will be forever remembered for Dave Roberts uh, stealing second base and, um, Bill Miller's game tying single up the middle uh, off Mariana Rivera. And, uh, but I think David Ortiz capping that night and one of the longest nights uh, in baseball history and certainly in Fenway history, ha- seizing the moment, sending the ball over the fence uh, for the home run and giving us one more day of delirious baseball. To me, that's number three. Yeah. Uh, so I, again, I'm going to combine them because there's so many that, and then the walk-off single, was it the next game or two? I think it was the so, next game. Yeah. Right? Uh, that's, that's my number two. We'll, you know, ruin the buzz. Thanks Alex. But um, that's number two for me, but go ahead. I just have that whole series really is, is one, but yeah, the home run. And then on, I'm not a big Joe Buck guy, but the call, you know, we'll yeah. see you later tonight. You talk about the length of that game and he hit that home run at, whatever, what was it like 1250 in the morning or something like that? Or was it after 1am? I think um, it was uh 119 in the morning. 119. Yes. I mean, you were, I'm going to guess you were there. Yes. Are you there? Yeah. Yes. So you'd remember, um, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's just, you get chills every time you watch it. You know, I, I can't help but see that. And, um, cause that really is, you think about, I talk about how, you know, we just talked about how David Ortiz was inevitable. Right. And you just knew what was going to happen that that laid the groundwork for all of that that was you know once he did that 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 kind of kicked off the legacy so yeah i have i have that three i know the series is probably bigger than some of the other ones just with it being oh four but um i think it's no secret what my what my second one is i kind of teased it before but yeah i would say just that whole series against the yankees was was the 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 david ortiz origin story right so um i'm gonna go number one because i think i know what your number two is Okay. How's that? I, no, I, it, I think we, we might have the same number one. Yeah, we might. Okay. Good. Uh, okay, okay. We're going to swap it up here. What's your number two? So my, my number two is the grand slam. 
Okay, that's fair. Um, yeah, I I mean, you talk about what that day was. I mean, it was emotional. I remember I was with, I was in college. I was with Matt McCarthy, who, um, it, you know, I now work with at the sports club, but we went to college together. And we had watched the, the Patriots game together. And I remember we, we went to dinner in between because there, there was some, like, the Patriots, it was a one o'clock game. And the Red Sox game, I don't think started till seven or eight. No, you're, talk, and, you're talking about the Grand Slam game? The, yeah. the Patriots game was a four o'clock game against the Saints. Was it a four o'clock game? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. There was there, I remember there was a gap in the middle. And the Red Sox game must have been 830. Because I remember going to get dinner. Yeah, it was later. It was something okay. like 815 or something like that. Yes, that's so, correct. I just, I just remember being at dinner and we were taught like the, the Bruins and the Celtics did their tweets about great job Patriots now go Red Sox like that. And I remember we just were talking about like, and I know that that kind of stuff happens in other cities, but I don't know. It just feels very real in Boston. And we were talking about how the teams feed off each other and things like that. And it almost, it, it, it really felt like the two games were like deeply connected. It really, as that Red Sox game was going on, there was just a feeling of, well, the Patriots had this improbable comeback earlier. So that means the Red Sox at least have something close in them. And when, so as that game's going on, you know, they're, they're starting to come back and it was fall break. I was still at school because I was covering the football team. They had a game that Saturday, um, but everybody else was gone. But it, so like, I'm like the, I thought I was the only one in my whole building, my dorm and the, the students, the student service, like, you know, not RAs, but they're like students who show up for noise complaints or whatever. You know, this kid who I knew who's from the Massachusetts area comes to my door. He goes, you're going to have to be quiet. I'm going to write you up. I'm like, dude, it's the ALCS. And and he had come during the Pats game too. I was like, the Pats just walked off. Like you got to, so Ortiz hits the grand slam and I'm losing my mind. I talked to a friend of mine who lived in the building across the quad for me. He's like the next day, he said he heard me, but I'm losing my mind. We're losing our minds. And the kid comes up. He's like, dude, you got to quiet down. And I'm just like, if you want to write me up, write me up. I don't care at this point. I don't know if you saw what just happened. So I just, it's, it's the moment. And it was just such an awesome memory to that whole day. Like, like I said, like this, like for me, I did my personal favorites, maybe not the best, but you know, my personal favorite David Ortiz moments. And yes, like just it, it, that, that whole day is just such a spe- special memory to me. I still have the covers from the Boston globe from that day, like stuff like that. So, um, and then shout out Jared Salt to the Maki, who ultimately ended it and did get me written up, um, but totally worth it. All right. Before we get to our number ones, both Alex Barth of 98.5, the sports hub at real Alex Barth on Twitter and my my own number one. I want to take care of some business for some great people. Bet online. Bet online. would like to wish you a happy new betting year. As we continue our march toward the playoffs and beyond, Bet Online remains the number one spot for all of the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. From basketball, football, hockey, boxing, and UFC, right to your very favorite Vegas casino games, do not wait to take advantage of all of the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Back with Alex Barth of 98.5 The Sports Hub. You can follow him uh, not only on 98.5 The Sports Hub uh, dot com and 
uh, you should be doing so. But you can also follow him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth. All right, uh, back with David Ortiz in the top five David Ortiz moments. Uh, before we do that, I want to go over some amazing statistics, and I'm sure you're very aware of these, Alex, and why I think it's a no-brainer that David Ortiz next Tuesday winds up uh, being announced as the as a part of the Cooperstown 2022 class. His career averages, he hit 286 for his career. He had 541 home runs. He had 1,700, over 1,700 RBIs. And his career, this is staggering. His career OBP, uh, I mean, excuse me, OPS was 931. Want to know something even more staggering? At the age of 40, his last year in 2016, do you know the numbers, Alex? I, it's over one. I know. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's, isn't it the second or third highest of his career? Yeah, uh, it is the, well, that's a great question. It is the third highest of his career. He had a 1.066 in 2007 and 1.049 in 2006. He had a 1.021 OPS in 2016, his final year in Major League Baseball at the age of 40. To me, what's even more amazing, he had a league-high 48 doubles. He had 38 bombs, and he drove in 127 RBIs. That is also... Uh, fourth highest in his career. He had single season highs of 148 in 2005. He had 137 in 2006, and he had 139 in 2004. 127 RBIs at the age of 40. In his last four seasons in Major League Baseball, he drove over 100, drove in over 100 runs in each and every single season. To me, that is just astounding. Obviously, we get to the postseason, and his numbers are almost as uh, staggering. His OPS in 85 postseason games, Alex, 947. In those uh, 85 postseason games, he had 17 home runs and 61 RBIs. Now, I've not had the time to break down how many game-winning RBIs he had and game-winning hits, walk-offs, and whatnot in Major League Baseball uh, history, but still, it's astounding. And I think for those, just based on those numbers alone, the man's getting into the Hall of Fame. Yes? Yeah, you talk about postseason success. You talk about longevity. I mean, he was he was robbed of the MVP in 2016. He, he shouldn't want it. And he, I agree. <laughs> You talk about the 48 doubles. Let's not forget, he couldn't move. Like, he really couldn't. How many more doubles would he have had if he was even just an average runner? That number is maybe close, probably closer to 60, right? So you wonder what he could have done if he kept playing because he still clearly could hit. You know, could he have gotten a 600 home runs? You look at, you, you just mentioned it. You look at the pace he was on. At the end of his career, last four years, 30, 35, 37, 38. He progressively, that's progressively. He hit more home runs each year in each of his last four years. So you figure if he kept around that, he only needed 60 home runs. If he could have played two more years. Yeah, I think he was at the end. Yeah, I think, I mean, at 40 and his body getting to be the way it was, I think he was pretty much done. So again, I don't know that he could have kept playing just because of the the day-to-day grind of it. But like hypothetically, you look at how he was hitting just purely as a hitter. 
Right. I think he had six, I think he had 60 more home runs in him in two or three years. He wasn't going to fall off. Like he would have, even if he fell off, you know, arbitrarily here, even if he fell off 30%, he's still a 25 home run guy. So I get like, ultimately you're right. Ultimately he couldn't have kept playing because the, the heel was too much of an issue. He could not move and you do, you still need to be able to run the bases. All right. But, Num- oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. But I was going to say, I, I think that some of the things we sleep on with the hall, the numbers obviously are hall of fame caliber, but I think we sleep on, you know, players longevity. And I think we sleep on postseason ability when we consider, you know, players for the hall of fame in, in multiple sports. And, and those are two boxes he checks emphatically. So the reason we're part of the reason we're doing this and part of the reason I really thought, Alex, it was a great idea on your part is there's a lot more to David Ortiz than just the numbers, a lot, a lot more to yeah. the uh, to David Ortiz's story and why he is um, to me a slam dunk for uh, Cooperstown in 2022. The number one moment in my mind, and I think it sticks out in the minds of a lot of Boston Red Sox fans, especially in the city of Boston, was what he did on April 20th, 2013 when first responders and the Watertown Police Department were being recognized for how they handled the two-day shutdown uh, after the Boston City, uh, excuse me, after the Boston Marathon bombing back on April 13th. And I think what he was able to do and the way he was able to galvanize not just Red Sox fans, but the city of Boston, this is our effing city. And for him to say, and obviously he (laughs) did not say effing, he actually said the word, we'll keep it family friendly here. This is our effing city. To me, that defines David Ortiz. And that is saying something, considering he's the best clutch hitter in the history of Major League Baseball. That's not hyperbole. That's just the way it is. Anybody who watched his, you know, 18 year career, uh, starting with the Twins back in the early 2000s and ending in 2016 with the Red Sox knows that he is the greatest clutch hitter they've ever seen. But the way he galvanized people, I already brought up the moment he galvanized the Red Sox in the dugout in St. Louis in game four of the 2013 World Series. But earlier in that season, in on April 20th, 2013, David Ortiz was a lot about a lot more than just baseball on that day. And the way he galvanized the city, I keep using that word, but I think it's the perfect word for him, uh, really stuck out in the fans and endeared him to not only Red Sox fans and not only baseball fans, but endeared him to anybody who really felt um, that Boston had been attacked. And if you think you're going to make us cower, screw off, F off. And that was the perfect time, the perfect moment. David Ortiz against the Kansas City Royals before that game. And even the Royals stood up on the edge of their dugout in awe of what the man was doing. Yeah, I mean, he just captured the tone of the moment so perfectly. And, you know, you know, you know, you kind of got it right when, uh, you know, the the uh, the FCC came out and the FCC is a pretty stingent organization. They really don't let a lot slide. And they were like, that's fine. He's good. We're not going to find anybody for that. So. Um, yeah, it really, I mean, I, I, I have the shirt. This is our effing city. Like I, you know, all of that, it was, it was a, defi- it was a defining moment for the city, you know, forget a defining moment for the Red Sox. You talk about what a big moment it was here. We are talking about the guy who, like you said, the greatest clutch hitter of all time, who, you know, played a huge part in ending the curse. One of the biggest grand slams in postseason history, all of that. You know, if you talk about the top 10 moments 
from the whole Boston sports dynasty. And remember, there's 12 titles. There's 12 right. championships. Forget mm -hmm. everything that got to those championships. But I think if you talk about the top 10 moments from the Boston sports dynasty, that's in the top 10. And no, no, quite. I, I think it is, but. Right. Like that's over. That's probably over some titles. And you talk about what, what a guy like Tom Brady has meant to the city. Football wise, Tom Brady certainly had his defining moments, but I don't know that anybody ever had them. And, and look, Brady was who he was. He would never do something like that. But that's kind of the beauty of David Ortiz is he really embraced that role of, you know, there's few guys who've come here. I think Isaiah Thomas did it. I think Julian Edelman did it. They really embraced the role of being, you know, from Boston and in, in, in playing for the people. And But those guys, as much as I love them, were not the profile that David Ortiz is. So for him to come out and say that, it really felt like he was one of like all them. I had a tough, I had a tough couple days after that happened. I did, and hearing that really helped me. And I don't think I'm the only person who felt that way. I think there's a number of people who will tell you, you know, that's the first time they really smiled, they really unclenched, you know, after a couple days. So for him to kind of put us all, on, you know, he put the Red Sox not to be too cheesy, and this is the kind of thing that you and Evan Lazarus make fun of me for. But, you know, for all the times he put the Red Sox on his back, you talk about the speech in the dugout, you talk about carrying the team in 04, you talk about carrying them, uh, you know, in, in, even in postseasons where they didn't win. It, it, if I could go back and, and, and change one Red Sox season, it would be 16 because he should have gone out with a title. And you talk about how he tried to drag that team to a title. For all the times he put the Red Sox on his back, he really put the whole city on his back with that. And it meant a lot. Like you said, it, it, it transcended baseball. I think it meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, and it was just a really powerful moment. It'll be interesting what happens on next Tuesday, January 25th, when David Ortiz is announced into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You can mark it down. If I'm wrong, I'll come on and apologize, but I don't think I'm going to be wrong. Okay, we want oh, to finish. Uh, you should come on and yell. You should come on and throw a fit. It would no, be I, wrong if he doesn't get in. I will. And um, I have a special guest lined up for next week to discuss um, – David Ortiz. So that is a tease for next week's Red Sox beat podcast. How about that, Alex? Is that good? There you go. There you All right. Go. Uh, we want to get real quick uh, to a list that I think we talked about the past for the last 30 minutes on this podcast. I want to talk about four Red Sox prospects named to baseball America's top 100 list. You know, look, when the lockout finally does end Alex, I think the Red Sox have a bright, bright future lined up in their minor league farm system. And I want to get to four of the prospects that, uh, as you pointed out to me, um, made this top 100 list and guys that, you know, some of whom have already, um, you know, dipped their toe in the waters uh, already with the Red Sox and some uh, waiting to uh, make their mark. We're going to start with shortstop Marcelo Mayer. He is 15th on the list. Then uh, first baseman Tristan Cassis, uh, 19th overall. Uh, coming up next is second baseman Nick York. He's number 31. And of course, Red Sox fans know very well that outfielder Jaron Duran made his major league debut this past year. He comes in only at 91. But those four players, what is your biggest takeaway on each of them, Alex? So I think with 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 Mayer, just the fact that he came in and he played well in the in the complex league, you know, he's he's really young. Like even for high school pick, he's pretty young. So to see him come in and have some level of success is encouraging. The, the The expectations are so high. Again, he was labeled as the top player in that draft class. He went fourth. 
So I think you have to be excited about that. It, it's he's too far away to make any you know grandiose predictions off of what he did playing whatever it is 35 40 games right but uh, you know you kind of see why a lot of people were upset the red sox didn't get jack lighter and you know who is this random high school shortstop they saw lighter in the college world series all of that i think you get an idea you know this kid this kid's legit he's a top 20 prospect in baseball baseball america knows what they're doing I think it's just kind of reinforces the concept that how well that draft went for the Red Sox. Um, 19 Tristan Cassis. I'm hoping we see him this year. I really am. Uh, He kind of had an up and down year last year, I think going to the Olympics. Ultimately, I think it's a good thing for his career, but I think it maybe threw him off his rhythm in terms of last season. So to see him still so high is encouraging. Um, And again, they really, there's no first baseman baseman right now with the big club. I don't know that he breaks camp with the team. But he should be up at some point this year. And there, there's a wide open door to me for him to win that everyday first baseman job at some point. Nick York's a really interesting one. Everybody, when he was drafted, everybody talked about him being overdrafted. And I think ultimately what happened is they wanted to save slot money to sign Blaze Jordan, who seemed to be set on, on going to college at Mississippi State. So they pay York a little under slot in the first round. And... I remember when he was drafted, the people on the desk were saying, we don't even know who this kid is. We didn't even really prepare for right. him. He goes in the first a- round. And... But- he was uh, Pine Bloom uh, was roundly criticized and mocked for taking him and back in 2020, and now right. he has risen up to number 31 in all of baseball according to Baseball uh, America. Yeah, and he uh, he had a massive jump. He was 63rd last year. So the reason for the big jump, he was named the Red Sox minor league offensive player of the year last year. Hit 325, had the most hits of any minor leaguer in the system. He's another guy that's pretty far away. It was his first year of pro ball with, with last year, you know, no minor league baseball because of COVID. So, you know, you still wait and see. It's not a guarantee on anything, but if that's his first year, you kind of look at that and you say, all right, well, you know, that's his base. Let's see how he builds off that. So he's a player I think it's worth being excited about. And then with Duran, I was actually really excited to see Duran on this list. He did. I, I think part of the reason he's lower is they the guys who aren't true prospects, right? You can have a certain amount of major league experience. It's it's minimal, but you can have a certain amount of major league experience and still appear on this list. Uh, I think the guys who have played in the majors generally get ranked further down because they're, it's not that they're lesser players, but they're, they're not as much of a prospect, right? Duran is right on the fringe. Right. I think of that prospect label, but I, a lot of people ready to write them off after just 33 games last year. I think it's too soon to do that. I'm glad baseball America is not writing them off. The Red Sox shouldn't write them off. I think his combination of speed and power, like I've seen him play live a lot. I was in Lowell the summer that, that he broke out. And this is a guy that can turn a routine ground ball, a shortstop into a single, and at the same time hit the ball 400 feet. So he's got to work on his contact. He struck out 40 times to 40 walks. That's not going to fly, but we've seen other players have those issues. Rafael Devers had issues like that when he came up, and he's obviously turned out okay. So I still think they need to work with him. I'm not sold on him being an everyday player yet, but I still love his potential. I'd love to see him get, you know, a full year uh, in the majors and kind of see what he can do. They're going to need an outfielder. They only have four outfielders right now, really, um, on their their 40-man roster that's not including J.D. Martinez. So uh, I'm happy to see Jaron Duran's kind of still in the spotlight here after what was uh, not an ideal start to his major league career. You have anything else, Alex, you want to add? I mean – just keep an eye on the lockout, right? Yeah. I'm just hoping Rob Manfred, I hope what happens is 
both sides are like, look, we can't afford any more time if we're going to get this Major League Baseball season underway reasonably close to what we want to get it underway at. And that is, I think, sometime by mid-April, right? I, I, if they go beyond that and they start shortening the season, I think it's a lose-lose. Yeah, you know, no pun intended. I think we're in the ballpark here where you start talking about at the very least an abbreviated spring training. And I know that there's some reports that the sides are sending offers back and forth, but they seem like pretty empty gestures at this point from everything I'm reading. So, look, I think, and we talked about this a little bit when we were planning the show yesterday, I I think baseball had a really good year last year. I actually do. I think it, it caught more attention. You had all those no-hitters early in the year. You had some good, like, division rivalries that, that meant something between the Giants and the Dodgers and even the Padres. Obviously, the Red Sox and Yankees, right? Uh, the, the Cubs and Reds went back and forth for a little bit. So, yeah, you, you had some juice. And the thing about like it felt like they were in a position to capitalize on. The thing about that is you can't hit pause on momentum and then just pick it back up whenever you want. Right. And if they delay the start of the season – you kind of lose all that momentum you built up last year. And this is not a game that can afford to lose that. This is not a sport. This is not a league that can afford to lose interest. So you just hope both sides realize that and get something done. I know it's super cliche to say whenever these things happen, but ultimately it's all about the fans and you hope they remember that. And by the way, I don't mean that. It, this is one of the times I don't mean it in a cheesy way that, oh, be romantic about the game and the fantasy baseball. I mean that as if the fans aren't interested, there's no money coming in can't operate as a business so hopefully they recognize that and get this thing sorted out but i you know what are we here we're, we're january 20th pitchers and cat i don't know the exact date pitchers and catchers are supposed to be but it's got to be less than a month right three it's normally mid-february three, three weeks so three and a half weeks yeah so you gotta you gotta start figuring that out before you have to push that back and look maybe they maybe they can strike a deal the day before maybe they strike a deal, and we've seen that kind of thing happen i think the nfl lockout uh, whatever year that was, what did that end like two or th- yeah, did that end like two or three days before training camp or something like that officially? Something. Yes. Yeah. Like they knew, but then it had to get ironed out. So maybe it's kind of one of those situations that honest, that's honestly what I'm expecting is, you know, they, they take a day or two off pitchers and catchers, but they got to get this thing moving. They got to get this thing in gear to get there. He is Alex Barth of 98.5, the Sports Hub. Follow him on Twitter at RealAlexBarth. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast and thank our great guest, Alex Barth from 98.5. Also want to thank our great sponsor, as always, BetOnline.ag. For Alex Barth, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Speed Podcast powered by CLNS Media.